Øh, I mit sjæld... If you are a little frail old lady, do not read this book. It is equal parts depressing, uh, outrageous, and licentious. And the same can be said for pretty much all of Welbeck's books. And before I want to talk about the book itself, I want to talk about the author, Michelle Welbeck. And that's the way I'm going to say his name. I've watched on YouTube and people pronounce it fucking like 10 different ways. I'm saying Welbeck. So pardon my French. Um, but he's like my favorite contemporary fiction author and perhaps my favorite author in general. If not my favorite, then the one that I find the most interesting, for sure. And if you ever like read a column about him or watch him get introduced on stage, controversial is the word you're pretty much always going to hear. Now for me, my interest is already peaked. I don't want to read a book that everyone in the world is going to like, and it's not going to challenge anyone to think, and everyone is all smiles at the end. And Welbeck is very good at challenging the reader. And the author himself is like the quintessential disheveled misanthrope. He's this chain-smoking, scrawny, balding, enfant terrible with a knack for humor and outrage and irony. And his books are riddled with all types of catastrophe, all types of sexual licentiousness and relationship breakdown and their total like roller coaster rides of emotion. And if you read about him or, or if you ever hear Welbeckian, like a Welbeckian character, uh, his books feature very similar protagonists. It's going to be a middle to upper middle class male who is borderline depressed, suicidal, and is sex addicted and probably an alcoholic. Um, and, the, and the protagonist in this book, Serotonin, is no different. Um, The protagonist, his name is Florent, and again, pardon my French, I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm calling him Florent. Um, and he's this middle, upper middle class Parisian agricultural, agricultural scientist. Um, and one of the passages I actually chose to read for this week is the introduction of this character, um, but also of the typical Welbeckian protagonist. So he says, I wake up at about five o'clock in the morning, sometimes six. My need is at its height. It's the most painful moment in my day. The first thing I do is turn on the electric coffee maker. I don't smoke a cigarette before taking my first sip. It's an obligation that I oppose upon myself, a daily, a daily success that has become my chief source of pride. Here I must admit, having said this, that electric coffee makers work very quickly. The relief that comes from the first puff is immediate, startlingly violent. Nicotine is a perfect drug, a simple, hard drug that brings no joy defined entirely by a lack and by the cessation of that lack. So already you're introduced to Florent and his kind of funny habits that walk this nihilistic, hedonistic line. He said nicotine is the perfect drug. It brings no joy. Um, and later on we'll learn that this is the way that Florent more or less views his journey through life, by a lack and by the cessation of that lack. Um, he's an agricultural scientist, and he works on quotas for French farmers, and he works as kind of a liaison between the farmers and the EU. Um, and he is, by and large, sympathetic towards the French farmers um, in this book. He's increasingly delusioned uh, with all, aspe all aspects of the contemporary world, 
and its bureaucracy, its, effect, its effects on French farmers. And so he more or less abandons his life suddenly and entirely. Now, at the beginning of the book, he's dating this pr- promiscuous Japanese socialite who he finds out participates in gang bangs and bestiality, um, which is a pretty funny passage, but I'm not going to read that one on here. <laughs> Uh, but he keeps hearkening back to his former love, who he was actually truly in love with, and whom he abandoned on a whim for another girl with a, quote, nice tight ass. And that was that. Um, so he flees Paris for Normandy, where he hopes to reunite with his love. And he also has his college best friend who lives out in Normandy. So he's kind of hoping to uh, reunite that friendship and, and spark that love back with the woman that he used to be in love with. All the while, he's on increasing amounts of antidepressants, which don't really seem to work that well, and also suppress his sexual virility. Uh, and that's where you get the title, Serotonin. Um, and like, like most books that are worth half a shit, there are two plots unfolding at the same time. There's Florence quest for something meaningful in his life, and the plight of the French farmers in Normandy. And this is why it's, a, it's in rural Normandy, which is... A key setting for the book. It's this benighted place that's been slowly ruined by uh, economic and agricultural policies of the EU and the French government. So if you're listening to this and you're American, think about the Rust Belt or old mill towns where your chief source of production was shipped elsewhere. Um, That's basically Normandy. And Florent is completely complicit in this because he used to work for uh, the liaison between EU and and these farmers. Um, so that's basically the plot. And there's all these crazy characters. There's this, his friend is this divorced alcoholic descendant of old French aristocrats. His life is like eroding entirely. There's this German birding pedophile. There's an armed riot. Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty intriguing plot line as is, but what does Welbeck do to kind of dress it up and to make it his own. Um, why is he so unique and what does he do to put his stamp uh, on the book? Um, first and foremost, he's a master of irony. And I've watched interviews where he says he thinks he lays it on too thick sometimes and overdoes it, but I disagree. He is a master of irony. And there's a lot of irony, especially on the online world. If you go on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, you'll read about a detached irony. Uh, there's people posting with detached irony, and this is a different strain of irony. Uh, Welbeck's irony is more, well, it's more complex, but it's more visceral, I think. He has a visceral irony. He trusts the reader deeply. He trusts that the reader knows when he is reaching for outrage um, in order to introduce deeper thought. And I really like that. I like that he trusts the reader. And when you're reading it, you feel like he's kind of winking at you sometimes, like, He's being outrageous, but you know, you get what he's doing. Um, He doesn't give a shit about the fallout or the outrage or or whatever. He trusts the reader to sense the irony and satire and kind of siphon it out from the shock. And this is rare, especially in in newer books, at least in the the last 20 years that I've read. seems like everything is so on the nose, in your face, and in, in turn, this makes it corny to me. So instead of peddling moral stories that don't challenge you to think which seems like someone's just talking at you when you're reading it. He kind of ironically presents things, and he wants us to make our own verdicts. Um, I'm not saying he's the most talented writer 
or the deepest or the most intelligent, but he's the most interesting. He wants to shock. That's his trade. And he stands up to the literary monolith. And I have two funny quotes that I wrote down because I thought these were pretty funny. Um, And one of them is kind of towards the beginning. He's like introducing himself and his name. And he says, I'm 46. My name is Florent Claude Lebrust, and I hate my first name, which I think was inspired by two members of my family that my father and my mother wished to honor. It's all the more regrettable that I have nothing else to reproach my parents for. They were excellent parents in every respect. They did their best to arm me with the weapons required in the struggle for life. And if in the end I failed, if my life is ending in sadness and suffering, I cannot hold them responsible but rather a regrettable sequence of circumstances to which I will return and which is, in fact, the subject of this book. I have nothing to reproach my parents for apart from the tiny, irritating but tiny, matter of my first name. Not only do I find the combination Florent Claude ridiculous, but I find each of its elements disagreeable in itself. In fact, I think my first name misses the mark completely. Florent is too gentle, too close to the feminine Florence, in a sense, almost androgynous. It does not correspond in any way to my face with its energetic features, even brutal when viewed from certain angles, and which has often, by some women in any case, been thought virile. But not at all, really not at all, as the face of a Botticelli queer. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, And then another one, he's talking about Paris before he flees Paris to go to Normandy. He says, it's a city infested with eco-friendly bourgeois. Perhaps I was a bourgeois too, but I wasn't eco-friendly. I drove a diesel 4x4. I mightn't have done much good in my life, but at least I contributed to the destruction of the planet. I thought that was funny as well. Um, And I want to talk about the... I'm not going to give away what happens at the end, because I'm assuming at least one person is going to read this book. But uh, I want to talk about the take-home message of the book, and I'm going to try and talk about the take-home message without revealing the ending itself and getting too in detail about that. Um, but in the end, Florent has this yearning realization where he suddenly starts talking about God. And he says, God takes care of us. He thinks of us every minute. And he gives us instructions that are sometimes very precise. Those surges of love that flow into our chests and take our breath away. Those illuminations, those ecstasies. Inexplicable if we consider our biological nature, our status as simple primates, are extremely clear signs. Um, so here he's yearning for at least the idea of God. He's somewhat conceived that there is some sort of divine purpose which is revealed to us, and unfortunately, humanity is incapable of making any use of these signs, of reaching out to these moments of beauty and ecstasy and illumination. And this is not really the ending I expected, um, or at least the realization that I expected from a Huelbeck character. Um, and it requires thinking too, but it's an endearing ending, I thought. Well, this isn't the ending, but it's an endearing take-home message. Um, this guy is basically fucked and smoked and drank his way through his seemingly meaningless life, meaningless life. And he has this revelation that reveals this eternal quandary, um, through which he has decided that life does have meaning. So nestled beyond the horror and the outrage and the irony and the humor is that yearning for human love, human connection, and a glitter of something real. Um, And I just thought that was kind of a a pretty cool passage there. And there's a lot of those towards the end. He's definitely a very talented writer in terms of like literary talent. 
It makes me want to learn French so I can read it in his native language because it comes across so well in English. I mean, how awesome would this be in French? I don't know. Um, but speaking of a man who has drank his way through life, I think it's time now um, for the booze of the week. And I have Black Velvet uh, Canadian Whiskey under the supervision, blended under the supervision of the Canadian government, which if that tells you anything, we've got 750 milliliters of bullshit right here. Um, and the reason I chose this, it's a Canadian whiskey, which doesn't make any sense really as far as the plot of the book goes. This is what I drank like sophomore, junior year of college, which I think is at least so far when I would have related most to Florent. I didn't, that's and sophomore year of college, I didn't really love anybody or anything, and I had ascribed no external meaning to my life. Uh, you know, just wanted to get fucked up on $9 booze. And I think that's kind of typical of a lot of college people, at least in America and in the West. So I'm going to crack. I've actually let a shot of this. Of course, I'm going to drink a shot of it. It's not good too classy here, but I've let a shot of it breathe a little bit over here. And it smells like... Sounds like a young whiskey. I can tell. It doesn't say how long this has been aged, but I can tell it's not that long, which typically is not very good. Um, smells like caramel to me, like a sweet, sugary caramel. So we'll see. I'm going to rip this shot here. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, that is beautifully terrible. Brings back some good times, or actually brings back some bad times. <laughs> All right. Um, next week, or next episode, I'm going to do Camus, The Stranger. Uh, some tunes for your time. School was done and you were gone so fast. Gave up everything that couldn't last. Borrow money that you never paid 